Hi everyone, thanks so much for joining us this evening. My name is Hannah Wallace and I am currently curator of evidence at Rising Arts Centre. So for this next episode of Desktop Studio Visit, I'm joined by Eileen Bailey, who I've been working with for the past year on her solo exhibition at Rising called Version. So just before I introduce Eileen properly, just a couple of housekeeping things. So this event is being subtitled. You should be able to access a stream text link that gives options to change sizing and formatting. A link can be found to this in the chat um, on Twitch and also via the host Rising broadcast page. The format of today's event is that Aileen has chosen a few tracks and images that relate to the exhibition at Rising. Um, we're just gonna play and show them and just have a, a chat around them. We'll be talking for about 40 minutes um, and then there'll be time for questions from the audience. So if you do have any questions uh, for Aileen, please do just pop them in the chat um, and I'll be happy to relate them to her. Um, if you would like to revisit this event later on, we're planning to archive it um, in the next week or so um, and we'll add any necessary audio descriptions where, where possible. Um, but so do, do keep an eye out for that. I'll just introduce Aileen um, and her work, and then we can um, get started listening to the first track. So Aileen Bailey is a sound artist and DJ whose compositions encompass field recordings and found sounds, and it's inspired by ideas and reflections on silence and absence, architectural urban spaces, and feminist activism. Her electroacoustic compositions are created for a variety of forms, including multi-channel and mixed media installations moving image soundtracks, live performance, and dance. In 2019, Bailey exhibited as part of the range at Eastside Projects Birmingham, We respite at Transmission Gallery Glasgow, and presented her first solo exhibition, and will always be a disco in the glow of love at Cube at London. Bailey has collaborated with numerous artists, including Sonia Boyce with O Adelaide, which toured to Eneva, London, Tate Britain, CTA Glasgow, Whitechapel Gallery London, and The Kitchen New York between 2010 and 2015. Other artists also include Jimmy Robert and Jocelyn Kaur, and most recently, Ego Ohayway Zwinski with Remember to Exhale, the studio Voltaire in 2019. So, Aileen, thanks for joining us today. How are you? All right. <laughs> Great. Yeah, all right, all right. Yeah. As I said before, I'm not a fan of this, so let's see how we get on. Okay. I'll try not to be um, too resistant. No. Well, you've been very busy <laughs> as well, haven't you? Yes, so, I have. I have. Um, are you working on a commission for the Serpentine at the moment, which opens soon? Yeah, so it's, uh, it's part of the listening to the City Strand, um, and it launches actually next week on August 26th. Uh, and I'm literally just coming to the end of making it, which is great, actually. Great. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. It's, it's, yes, it's, yeah, it's been interesting. Just kind of just life and COVID getting in the way of stuff. So it's um, made it, yeah. it slowed it down a bit, but it's okay. It's okay. It's, we've got there in the end, or I've got there in the end. Yeah, yeah. and to be able, you've got performance as well as part of it, which of course. Yes. Really exciting so, to be able to do that at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it'll be, yeah, because I haven't performed since 2019 and I don't even remember when I did in that year, which is interesting. Um, but I, um, I'm going to collaborate with Imani Robinson. Um, we're kind of figuring out what we do. Uh, but yeah, yeah, kind of come along. Yeah, when, when is it? Uh, the 10th of September. Well, yeah, definitely going to try and be there. Cheers. Um, well, I just realised actually before we dive into um, the tracks themselves, if we could just do a really quick audio description of ourselves just for access purposes. So I am a white cis woman um, in my early 30s. I have um, wavy brown hair so sort of just below my shoulders um, and I'm wearing a black polo neck, which doesn't make any sense because it's August. But um, yeah, and I'm also wearing gold hoops and I use a cochlear implant on my right ear. In the background, I also have an image of um, 
Ayn's exhibition, which is sort of Jasmineite Akifruit suspended from the ceiling in the gallery. Ayn? Oh, okay, I didn't know we can do this. Uh, uh, I am black, dyke, uh, cis, I guess. Uh, uh, I have short grey hair, big rimmed black glasses. I'm wearing a sweatshirt of blue, which has got a lovely zip in the side. Um, I'm sitting in my studio, which is very minimal. How I like it. Yeah. Is that enough? Great. Yeah, that's perfect. Okay, cool. um, well, shall we, shall we start listening to some of the things that you brought together for us today? Let's do it. So we've got the, the first thing on our list is um, a version of Linstead Market, which is performed by Louise Bennett. So Chloe, whenever you're ready. Album cover for Miss Lou's Yes, My Dear. Market and that was a version that was recorded by um, Louise Bennett and of course Lindsay Market is the song that is played within the reception area of your exhibition at Wising. Um, do you want to just sort of tell us a bit more about you know why the song is important and sort of why you brought it into into sort of to talk about it in today? Um, I guess um, when thinking about I think for the exhibition, I wanted to think about food and, and music. And I guess initially I was focusing on dub, um, which origin originated on the island, um, Jamaica, I don't know if you mentioned that. Um, but then I was also thinking about sounds from my childhood that kind of still resonate, even though I hadn't really heard that song for decades, actually. Um, but I, I still remember it. And I'm also trying to also remember where I used to hear it. 
that I've no idea. It could have been at uh, like parties and receptions that the Brixton Neighborhood Community Association, which was a family kind of run um, organization used to hold. Um, and we used to kind of go along as kids um, and hang out. Um, yeah, and also I guess it used to get played by still pans, orchestras and, and or still pan bands rather. Uh, so yeah, it's just a tune that's just almost like in my DNA a little bit. And so when it came to thinking about version that the reception area kind of went through a few iterations before I finally landed on that. And I, you know, inviting Elaine Michener to come along, who is also Jamaican, to come along and give her own interpretation just felt like a perfect kind of match. And yeah, I mean, her version is, is awesome. Yeah, and so um, do you, is there sort of much connection to Louise Bennett's version of it, or is, is that just sort of one of the versions that you know of? Well, no, Elaine told me that that's the version that she referenced when she was recording um, her version, which is okay. obviously very different. Um, but yeah, she said she used Miss Lou's, which is how she's kind of fondly known by Jamaicans. Um, yeah, she used her version, Miss Lou's version. Yeah, as a template almost. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, because obviously, so when your family came to see the exhibition, this obviously was a song that really resonated for them. Um, and so, do you actually have memories of people singing it, or do you, is it more memories of people of a song being played? I think it's more being, I think it's more being played, but but I bet if you asked people who remember the song, they could sing it. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 could say, I know the melody. I mean, I know a lot of the lyrics now, but I didn't know all of the lyrics. And I certainly didn't even know what it was about until I actually read the lyrics, actually, which was quite shocking. Um, yeah. No woman going to market in order to feed her starving children. Nobody buys her wares. And so the children go hungry. It's pretty depressing. <laughs> it's, like, it's such a joyful song. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't, it's not, it's, it sort of doesn't quite match up. But um, and it, it's not necessarily something you would get straight away without without reading more into it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Great song. I mean, it's it's a classic. Yes. Yeah. So it's a sort of like the idea of tradition. It's a traditional Jamaican folk songs. Yeah. I mean, it's just a song. I mean, I think that was recorded in either the fifties or the sixties. Um, it's just like you know, it's one of a few songs. Like, there's that one. There's another one called Yellow Bird. Um, and then there's another one, is it Island in the Sun? Uh, which actually for the Serpentine Commission, I, we got a still pan player to play them both. So they're going to be included in the Serpentine Commission. Um, and they're, yeah, they're really hauntingly beautiful. Um, so yeah, so it's kind of nice to kind of draw on this kind of, these sonic memories kind of for the work really. Yeah, which of course is such a big part of your practice in in general so you know we've spoken quite a lot about a lot of the other projects you've worked on where you're really thinking through ideas of sonic biography and so this is something that you've you sort of you you create that experience with and for other people asking them to bring sort of songs and memories of music into well, we create experience. it hmm? we, all, we all create it together i kind yeah. of facilitate a space and yeah. then it is what it is yeah and then maybe this exhibition is, is in some way a sort of a sonic, you know, I guess a version of your own sonic biography, I think is what you... Yeah, completely. I mean, I certainly like, I mean, we'll talk about the dub later, but certainly like the dub music and the title itself, um, having versions of songs, like you'll have the, the lyric, song with the lyrics and the vocals. And then there's sometimes there's like a bit where it kind of changes and then it kind of goes into... The instrumental version of the song um and i kind of and you know the songs i've chosen later are complete and brilliant examples of that um but i'll talk about those maybe those later yeah yeah sure um well should we sort of move on to the next part it it's a little bit of a tour of the exhibition um okay. so if we have a if the next item which um is a image of an ackee fruit right um, so I'm just going to audio describe it whilst um, whilst Chloe shows a, a picture of it. 
So this is an image of an ackee fruit, which is um, at a stage of um, openness. And there's sort of three segments peeled back to reveal um, three seeds in the centre. And the main flesh of the segment is a sort of orange yellow on the outside and a red pink on the inside. Um, and you'll see in the in the middle of the centre of this fruit, there are um, three sort of glossy black seeds that sit on pale yellow um, aerials um, that sort of bring the fruit together in the centre. I should say that the only part of that fruit that's edible is the yellow bit. The rest is poisonous, I think. <laughs> yeah, so, because um, it's not actually a fruit that um, you can get hold of um, in the UK in its sort of fresh form. No. Um, only in canned form? Only in tinned canned form, yeah. I mean, because, yeah. yeah, I think one of the things that I really wanted to do at the beginning, and um, when I was researching, getting hold of the actual fruit, kind of discovered that it's kind of deemed to be poisonous, um, unless it's kind of opened. Anyway, it's deemed to be poisonous, so it can't be imported. And I really like the idea of kind of creating a canopy of the, veg of the vegetation of it, which would have been amazing. But alas, no. I then also thought about, you know, using cans in some way, but then thought that was a bit odd and naff. So poo-poo that um, idea. But so obviously this has turned into a kind of much more sculptural exploration for you um, with the sort of Jerkmanite version. Do you want to just tell us a bit more about, you know, what the Aki represents um, within the exhibition and also just a little bit about the making of the fruits themselves? Um, I'm a I don't know. Uh, I, I guess I wanted to have a representation of Aki and I thought that the best way would be, if I couldn't have the actual thing, was to make a thing that looked like the thing. But obviously even for the show, the actual sculptures themselves are like four times as big as the actual fruit. Because I think the actual fruit, it, it's the size of an apple um, that you can hold in your hand. Um, and so I, my friend Jasleen um, had a friend, Martha Todd, who is an amazing model maker, sculptor, um, works with ceramics and stuff and teaches and is amazing. And yeah, I kind of asked her basically, would she be up for it? I don't think she knew quite what she was taking on. Um, <laughs> but you know, but the results, the, resu the results are incredible. And then, you know, for those who've seen the show, um, there are actually 59 suspended from the ceiling and each Aki kind of represents um, each year of Jamaican independence from, well, I'll say colonizers, something they are, but but from Great Britain, yeah. Yeah, and so, so the, I guess the idea is so that, you know, each time you show the installation, yeah. you can, it, you can sort of... It can... Yeah, I mean, because it will, because obviously as we, as, you know, Jamaica gets older, um, it needs, yeah, the Yaki's need to be, represent how long it's been independent. So it will grow, hopefully, if it ever gets seen again, you know, hopefully, touch wood, someone will pick it up. And <laughs> <laughs> um, do you want to just tell us a bit more about um, what, so, you know, what the Aki sort of represents within the, that part of the exhibition as well? Uh, I mean, for me, I because you know, the show is about, I guess, what I was looking at was food and music, and you know, Aki and Saltfish is like the national dish of Jamaica, and within the within the gallery itself, so we have the sculptures, but there's also an accompanying sound work, which is based on me actually cooking Aki and Saltfish, and I've taken those recordings and then turned them into the composition. So basically, it's like the Aki and Saltfish room, really. Um, in terms of sculptures themselves, I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, I, just, I just really wanted to have a physical representation of them, but also then making it a bit more complex with the Jamaican independence. Um, yeah, and that, I guess, then accompanied by Taylor's text. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I um, I'm not entirely sure what the next item is related to in the, in the way that I know the other ones a little bit. But if we maybe listen to a little bit of um, 
is it from the trilogy of Delamour? Oh, Eliana D. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I I chose the next kind of the next two because they are just um, artists whose love work I love, and I love like drone music. Um, yeah, and 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 my work isn't necessarily drone, but it's drone esque in places. Okay. Um, I didn't really listen to a lot of the work while I was making the compositions for the show. Um, but you did ask for some examples and that's no the ones that came to mind. So sure. well, shall we just listen to a couple of minutes of um yeah, the work by Eliane Radig? Yeah. Yeah, great. If you're ready, Chloe. Album cover for Eliane Radig, Trilogie de la Mort. So that was um, from Trilogy de la Mort. Uh, do you want to say anything more? Sort of just, I'm just, I don't know much about um, her practice. Just if you wanted to share a bit more about uh, I'm just trying to remember. She's, she's uh, I think she's in her 80s or 90s now and kind of um, French uh, composer. I discovered her, I think, about what are we now, 21? eight years ago, I think probably while, when did I, anyway, yeah, I mean, early on in my sound art practice. Um, and I just really, I, I mean, I'm a big fan of minimalism anyway, and then I discovered her work and I was just, I just loved it because it's, she's a woman um, and she kind of, I like her story where she 
she kind of started making music and then she kind of left it for like decades while she raised her family and then she came back to it quite late um and she uses like an ARP synthesizer uh so just all these things I was like oh but it just sounds so amazing and there was a series of concerts in London about five or six years ago where they played all of her music in like a church and it was just extraordinary just to kind of hear it like out loud and kind of almost being like really uh, yeah it's just she's incredible she's incredible um you went to you you went to you experienced that conference yeah yeah amazing it was just it was just a playback but it was still something you know listening to stuff in churches anyway is always amazing but then to hear this music and if you kind of really commit to it just just the way that it moves and the shapes that it forms um and it kind of really draws you in and i think that's one of the qualities um which i really like about her work and which i kind of try to do in my work i guess as well yeah you said something that you've you've talked about a few times this sort of um sort of music as as a space in which you kind of or sound as a space in which you're sort of trying to immerse people mm. you sort of you you, you um said something to me once with a family interesting this idea of almost cinematic experience absolutely yeah yeah um so it's kind of that that's sort of what you get from her work as well absolutely and i and i think um yeah, cinematic, because it's just a huge sound, done well, you know, produced well and played back well on great equipment. And I think that's also one of my bugbears, like for showing work um, in spaces. Sometimes people just don't attend to how the work is kind of broadcast almost. Um, so, yeah, and it's also another reason, like, why I don't like my work necessarily to be played on headphones. It's kind of a communal thing as well. Uh so if you're in a room and you're enjoying it together, I just love the idea that there's a kind of bonding moment, even though you're not really bonding unless, you know, but yeah, it's, it's yeah, immersion all the way for me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, maybe that feeds in quite nicely to, to the, say, the next one, which is um, we've got Prophecy by Fabienne. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so um, Chloe, if you're ready to play some of that as well. <laughs> Album cover for Fabian Prophecy.
So that was Puff Speed by Fabienne. Do you... Well, Fabienne, if you look at the record label, I mean, I don't know what their name is now. It's like, yeah. I mean, that's the first uh, reggae 12-inch that I ever bought when I was about 12 or 13, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember where I heard it, probably on the radio, because I, I don't think I was allowed to go to parties, so probably on the radio. Pirate Radio probably as well. Um, yeah, it's just, it's an amazing tune. It's like about eight or nine minutes long. Um, but it does this thing where it has that, that vocal section or the vocal song or the song with lyrics, and then it turns into the dub version. Um, it's just, just extraordinary. But it's also, I think I was also kind of, maybe not knowingly, but also kind of drawn to it because it's kind of, kind of talks about social justice, like, you know, the Dennis Brown one does as well. And I think I, I really like those kind of conscious lyrics, um, yeah, those reggae songs, uh, old school. Yeah, it's yeah. great. And you know, you're listening from quite an early age as well. So obviously it's quite informative when you're listening to something that young. And um, so, yeah, I guess it's also takes us maybe a bit further into sort of like the third part of your exhibition, which is sort of within the structure of Amphis. Um, do you want to talk a bit more about what the work in there is doing and sort of its relation to Dub? Um, what it's doing, God. Uh, I, I, I can tell you what I wanted it. To, well, actually, this is, this, is what, this is how I approached it. So I knew I wanted to do, make an homage to Dub. Um, so I guess I had this idea that I was going to make a dub track. Um, never having made a dub track before. Um, it's always good to have ambition. Uh, and then I was like, oh, but wait, so, you know, who who played on these records? And, you know, then it was like, maybe it can be a tribute to Sly and Robbie, who played on like tens of thousands of reggae records and actually pop and rock songs as well, who became our Jamaican institution. And then I was like, yeah, but maybe that's too big. And, and then I was like, oh. but they kind of basically were the rhythm section for Grace Jones, you know, um, oh God, what's the album? Oh God, I can't remember. There's a Grace Jones that will come to me. And I was like, well, maybe I can just, you know, maybe it's just a Grace Jones tribute and it's like Robbie. And then in the end, I was like, you know what? It's, it's going to be the bass and the drum. Those are the elements that I'll take. Um, and then try and fashion a dub track. So even like in the research stage, in the process of making, I kind of listened to like a lot of dub. Uh, I, you know, I was writing down names of all the producers, you know, not even just from Jamaica, but like from Germany, from Berlin, you know, the English kind of dub, because apparently dub isn't, is no longer really made in Jamaica. It's made elsewhere, which I found was quite interesting. and then I kind of listened to, you know, all these records and then I was kind of writing down, you know, what was played because it's very minimal music. You know, it's based, you know, it uses a lot of effects like, you know, echo and delay and reverb. Um, you know, the bass, I've, I read that the bass is the melody. So I was like, okay, well, that's quite important. Um, and then there's guitar, there's organ. So I kind of looked at these constituent parts and then took some of them, because I couldn't take all of them, because then it would be something else. Um, and then kind of fashioned what is heard in Amphis. I have to say, I did make a thing to start with. And my friend Lizzie's partner, Matt, uh, made some bass lines for me. He made, he made like, created 15 bass lines, different parts. And I was like, how am I going to use these? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not technical, you know traditional musician I don't know keys I don't know and so I kind of put them in and it just I just it all sounded really off like nothing was really matching up um and so I kind of basically threw everything away again 
and and I kind of think I kept one part, which is like a uh, what part is it? It's like a it's like a pad sound you kind of find in a lot in a lot of house music. And then I started building again, and so then I looked at Matt's bass lines again, and then selected three of them, and then created like the melody that you hear in Amphis. Uh, and then I kind of then did my kind of percussive thing, like, like I think, I don't know what I sampled even in the end. It was probably, I definitely probably used some of the Aki sounds. Um, maybe I, yeah, I probably used a lot of the Aki sounds and resampled them and created textures. Um, and so it's kind of my homage to dub, like filter through how I make, how I work with sound and how I make sound. But the baseline, I kind of, is is at the root of it yeah yeah and then um, you also obviously the title of the exhibition is obviously very much related to sort of the actual recording of of dub music or records in general i think i don't think i think it's just you know it's that the song and then the instrumental or the version um which is the sort of second side this, or even the same side if it's a 12 inch. Uh, yeah. But also there's, you know, there's this, all this, also this other tradition um, where there are versions and versions and versions of the same song done by different people. Yeah. So, you know, for me, the word version just became like, of course, because I'm trying to reimagine like food and music, you know, of course, they're my versions of all of these things. Um, and I think it's a great title. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> should we um, should we listen to to our last um track? Let's. Yeah, so we've got Dennis Brown, um, Re Revolution. Revolution. Great. Okay. Well, Chloe, if you're ready. Album cover for Dennis Brown, Revolution. Ooh, yeah. 
great tune, great tune. <laughs> um, and where, where do you want to say anything more about sort of where that one's come from and its influence? Uh, not really. I mean, he's just my favourite um, reggae singer, uh, Jamaican. I mean, most a lot of people kind of go, you know, Bob Marley. I'm like, nah, it's Dennis Brown. Because, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, obviously there are some Bob Marley's. I mean, I like Bob Marley. I don't hate him. Um, but Dennis Brown was the one and who's like the melodies and just his voice. Um, yeah. And again, conscious lyrics. I mean, his late his later work doesn't, I don't really enjoy. It's a bit sweet for me um a bit poppy but yeah but the earlier stuff like revolution yeah. slave driver uh well yeah great just great but you know it's more social conscious lyrics but it's just it's what his work i just they're just classics i turn to again and again and again and again yeah and so i guess in some ways we'll probably have you know influenced the making of your of your music in some way even subconsciously I wish. I doubt it. I really doubt it. It's a nice idea, thanks, but I doubt it. (laughs) Well, it'll be in there somewhere, you know, somewhere within the sound. I think think it would influence it in terms of what I want to make, but I don't think necessarily what I do make. Okay. Yeah, if I was... yeah, if I if I was a bass player, then for sure, you know, whoever played bass and and drums on those tracks, then yeah, they're great bass lines, they're great melodies. Yeah, for sure. But I quite like that I also can't play, so I almost can't channel the stuff. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I can't I can't really play it on my because I don't know how to, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a shame, but. but- so, I mean, it sounds like it sounds like that particular piece of work was more of a challenge to sort of get to its sort of end product. Um, but do, do you think that there's more, that there's further to go with that? Do you think that that's work that you'll carry on using or carry on experimenting with? No, nah, I, I think when I make work um, and the deadline hits, the work is finished okay. and done and you move on to the next thing. Yeah. Take, taking all the challenges that you had into the next project. Yeah. Because I think, you know, it's like you just keep repainting the same painting forever. Yeah. Like make a new one, you know. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Make a new yeah. one and then, and then, you know, more work. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, that sort of takes us to the end of our um, track list. Um, but is there, I mean, is there any, anything else that you wanted to touch on before I get a couple of questions from the audience? No, I don't uh, think I so. Mean, I mean, I, I guess the only thing we haven't touched on, obviously, is Taylor's text. Mm. Um, but that's sort of part of the sort of more visual experience, perhaps. Um, but yeah, just to say that if people do manage to make it to the show, there's also <laughs> a textual response. There's only one week left. There's only one week left. Yes. Yeah. Um, So I'm just going to take a couple of questions. So if anyone does have any questions for Aileen, please do pop them in the the Twitch chat or on the Rising Broadcast page, and I will relay them. Um, But I've got a couple that have come in. So. (gasps) God, hot off the press, all right? Give it a go. (laughs) So. So the first question is, can you tell us a little bit more about your experience of bringing in Elaine Michener and Taylor Lamel as collaborators and how important collaboration is within your work? Taylor Michener and Taylor. Yes. So basically, um, in terms of Elaine, I've, I've admired and adored Elaine's work probably since I, I think I was first introduced to her by Sonia Boyce, because Elaine was in one of her, I think it's a piece that Sonia made for Venice in 2017. And there was a live performance where Sonia invited an audience and she had performers, Elaine, one of whom was Elaine. Um, I was like, oh my God, who's this? So I've kind of followed her work. I just think, I, yeah, she's her, her, the way that she kind of, I don't even know how to explain it, kind of inhabits 
her performances and her, her vo- I don't even know how to describe her vocal delivery, her vocal style. I was really interested in seeing what she would do with Instant Market. I had no idea what she was going to do, um, but I knew it would be amazing. And as it turned out, and I was lucky, it was. Um, so literally, you know, the thing about that was I could have sung it and it could have been an interesting thing to do. Um, but I was interested in in how Elaine would kind of yeah, inhabit that material to make it like a really kind of thing, almost an object in that space. Um, so that's Elaine. Um, and Taylor, uh, another comrade, I just who's writing I love, again, because, okay, let's go back a bit. So I have this thing where, like when I was doing my degree in 2012, I've, I was re- I started reading about how uh, John Cage and Merce Cunningham worked together. And I've, I discovered that they, I don't know if they always did, but they used to make their work in isolation from each other. And I really liked that as a way of making and collaborating. And so I think a lot of the people that I invite to do stuff, that's kind of how we work. So obviously with Elaine, Elaine went off, well, Elaine just went off and did it. And I guess similarly with Taylor, I was going to make the composition and Taylor was going to make um, accompanying text for all of the works, Elaine's, the Aki room and the dub and the dub room. Um, and for me, it's also kind of a question of trust that you kind of offer and invite someone in to kind of collaborate with, uh, to kind of make, almost like for me to kind of make the vision real and and full. Um, yeah, so collaboration, I mean, you know, even though it's my name, you know, it's my show, uh, it wouldn't be a show without those people at all. I mean, I think the only thing that I made on my own was probably the composition in the Aki room. Everything else had people involved in it, which kind of just makes it even more special, really. Yeah, and you know, so that that had always been quite an important part of of how you work. Yeah, I mean, I like working on my own as well, um, but I also like like kind of stretch like you stretch yourself. I think when you kind of work with other people and they have different ideas of, and ways of working and different approaches to things. And I'm always trying to learn and always trying to expand my practice and develop my practice. And yeah, and so working with those people, definitely, it's like there's possibilities you know, that, that come from that. Um, yeah, they're great. Yeah, yeah, great. Um, I have another question here that is, um, so are there any contemporary artists or musicians that you're particularly excited about at the moment? Who should we all go and discover after this conversation? Google, mate. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Uh, see, this is terrible because I should have a list of names. Are these sound people that they're thinking of or just people in general? Um, well, it says artists or musicians. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to think of people's work that I bought recently. Um, okay, obviously Shanice, Aretha, one should always seek out. Um, I'm going to stay more my all my friends actually. So Phoebe Collins James and Adam Farah, they have a show actually coming up at Camden Arts Centre, so you should definitely go see them. Their work's amazing. Um, Shanice. Uh, Jimmy Robert, he doesn't live here, but if you ever get a chance to see his work, amazing. Uh, someone's going to kill me if I don't mention them. Um, Jasmine, obviously. Uh, Sonically, Jasmine I'm Kaur. sure. Jasmine Kaur, Rahana Zaman, um, Sonny Boyce, obviously, always. Claudette Johnson, uh, Helen Kamak, some of the younger people. I tell you who I, I really would like to. Um, work with is somebody I met actually at a black ceramics workshop and that's Remy Graves I don't know if you're listening Remy but let's do something amazing drummer and poet and writer oh yeah I'm gonna say Remy Graves look out <laughs> that's my top tip I mean we'll, just, we'll, we'll send her this recording <laughs> I'm gonna direct them to it don't worry okay. don't worry yeah 
But there's I lots that, I mean, there's lots of people. I mean, I don't really even have, I, I don't know a lot of stuff that's happening because I'm just buried in things. And so I, I kind of rely on other people to kind of play stuff or mention people. That's how I find, how I find out about stuff. Well, that, that's a pretty, that's a pretty comprehensive list of people yes. to go away and look at. So don't yes. worry. Yes. <laughs> Great. Okay. Well, I think um, shall we shall we wrap it up there? That's not, if, if there are no more questions, sure. Um, well, I think um, it's a good time just to. Okay. Cool. Let it go. Um, yeah. I mean, it's been amazing talking to all three of you. Um, and there is also a playlist which you put together for Virgin as well, which is available on the Rising Broadcast site. Um, and the exhibition is open until the, some, this Sunday, the 22nd, um, open between 12 and 5 every day. So just to let people know if they haven't already been. Um, yeah. But yeah, thank you so much for joining, Ayeen, and for thank talking you. through the um, influences with us. Um, and thank you to the Rising team for hosting, as always, seamless as ever. Um, but yeah, thank you everyone for joining as well. Um, hope you all have a lovely evening. Bye. Bye. Thank you.